0: the most beautiful woman in the world. Her eyes were as dark as the night sky and set in pristine porcelain skin. They seemed to glow from behind a curtain of hair so shiny and black that it was nearly blue. She was the favorite mistress of the prince Nabeshima, and one day the couple chatted and walked around the palace gardens all day long, so involved with each other that they never noticed the giant cat silently stalking them. Otoyo was asleep when she was attacked that night at midnight. One long cat claw swiftly slit her throat, and the great cat lapped up every drop of blood in her body. It ate her flesh and buried her bones. Satisfied with her work, the lion-sized cat stretched until her flesh took on the form of Otoyo, then laid comfortably in her victim's bed and went to sleep. It wasn't long before Prince Nabeshima grew ill, very ill. He was weak and pale and barely had the energy to get out of bed. One of the prince's advisors, Isahaya, was convinced that the symptoms could only mean that someone was poisoning their dear prince. He stationed 100 elite guards to surround the prince's bed in his own chambers. Isahaya slept well that night for the first time in days, feeling assured that his lord would do the same. Imagine his shame when the next morning he found all of the guards asleep and the prince Nabeshima weaker than ever. He berated his men for being unworthy of their positions, and then he left to see the chief priest and pray and seek his advice. While the two educated men discussed symptoms and their concerns, they noticed a handsome, low-born foot soldier praying intently for the recovery of his lord. He told the men of his admiration for the chivalry and honor of the samurai, and though they no longer existed, he was not of, and he was not of noble birth, he had chosen to live by the Bushido, the honor code of the samurai, and to do all that he could to help Prince Nabeshima, though, with his lowly position, all he could do was pray. The priest and Isaiah were so impressed with the young man that they brought him into the palace and added him to the king's guard. The elite guards were not too pleased to be serving beside a commoner. They were men of noble blood and had trained for years to get here. Still, they had to make their peace with it as night approached. The young man, Ito Soda, joined the elite guard of one hundred as they surrounded the bed of Prince Nabeshima. By ten o'clock, a warm, cozy heaviness filled the air. The men's heads began to feel thick and foggy, and soon they had all nodded off except for Ito Soda, who had taken a small knife from his belt and stabbed it deeply into his thigh. The pain and adrenaline kept him awake to see an exquisitely beautiful woman slide the screen door aside. It was Otoyo, the prince's lover. She was surprised to find anyone awake. She commented that he was a very faithful soldier and must be of very high rank. Ito Soda corrected her, telling her that he was simply an ashigaru, a peasant soldier. Otoyo began to fuss over the prince's body, but when she found that faithful Itosoda would not look away, she let out a strange, feral growl of frustration at being unable to suck some of the prince's life away, and left. The next morning, the prince was much better, and Itosoda was given an estate as an award for his devotion. Not every man would risk an infection to stay awake all night, but the young Ashigaru had done both. Still, He was troubled. He suspected Otoyo was responsible for Nabeshima's poor health, and what was worse, he suspected she was a demon of some kind. He asked to guard the prince the next night, and Isahaya agreed as long as he could do so with his injury. That night, as sleep took on the soldiers, Ito Soda used his knife to reopen his wound and twisted the knife within it to keep himself awake. Again, the false otoyo returned to the room to suck the life from the prince, only to find Ito Soda faithfully watching her. Their eyes met, and for just a moment, her angry eyes turned yellow and her pupils elongated into slits before they turned black again, and she left the room. Ito Soda had been hesitant to accuse the king's favorite, but now he had no choice. To his surprise, Isahara believed him since the prince was noticeably more well each time Itosoda intervened. He sent a small batch of soldiers with Itosoda to confront the creature. At first, the false otoyo laughed and cautioned him not to anger the prince's favorite. When the determined young man drew his sword, however, she lunged at him, blocking the sword with iron-like cat claws. She dropped her beautiful otoyo disguise and leapt out the window as a massive cat. If the room full of soldiers wasn't enough witnesses, soon there would be uncountable others as the demon cat brought chaos and destruction in the surrounding villages. It broke the prince's heart to do it, but he had to accept that Otoyo was truly gone, and, an or- and he ordered a hunting party to stop the vampire cat. The original story doesn't go into much detail about how a band of mortals caught and killed a super-strong, super-fast demon cat, that could take the form of anyone whose blood he drank, but it does say that the beast was slain and Ito Soda was richly rewarded. Considering he was granted an estate for successfully completing the first night's watch, reward for killing the goblin cat must have been pretty amazing. While the time period of this story is a little ambiguous, we know that it happened after the arrival of cats to Japan somewhere around 1200 years ago but most likely after the completion of the Edo period. We see Itosoda idealize the art and culture of this period, along with the honor and chivalry of the samurai, which are named only in past tense in the story. This means that the tale as we know it likely comes more recently than 1862, though it may have evolved from an older tale, as fairy tales tend to do. The story focuses on the art, beauty, and loyalty and values of a previous age and may represent Japan's fear of losing their unique core culture as idealized in the Edo period. They feared losing their unique culture in a modernizing world and losing their core culture's morals and traditions along the way. Who can blame them? I have often done this myself, looking backward at times when our country's values were more in line with my own and when women wore cute dresses in place of athleta leisure of today. I think this story reflects that same desire of a generation lost in the corruption of modernization and longing for a more well-mannered, traditional, economically prosperous time. As I said, who can blame them? If you like this show please like subscribe and share it with your friends and family i really do appreciate your help because your support does kind of help the podcast keep going it really encourages me week after week to see how many people listened into each episode and i i don't know i just really enjoyed the feedback you can also contact me on facebook i love your comments and your notes and just Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to talk to you on Friday when we're going to talk about the ghosts of Savannah, Georgia. Have a beautiful day.